You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Talking Chop Podcast. This is episode five. I am Carlos Colazzo, along with, as always, Brad Roland. Brad, how's it going? I'm good, man. We are uh, getting closer to the season, and that is much anticipated, I know, for us and all Braves fans, so I'm uh, ready to go. Yeah, I am as well. And today, we have on Scott Coleman, who is well-regarded in the Talking Chop space. He's been here for a while now. Scott, how's it going? Welcome to the podcast, buddy. It's good. Glad to finally get on with you guys. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Uh, before we jump into the the main the main topics for today, there's a few notes that we wanted to mention. Uh, maybe the biggest piece of news and the fact that it's not even that big in the first place probably speaks to how slow things are still going despite being fully in spring training at this point. Um, some bullpen nuggets. Uh, David Carpenter was cut this week from the team which isn't a huge surprise. He's been floating around with some different teams over the past few years trying to keep his career alive. Um, he's a super nice guy, so it is dip- disappointing in that regard, but I'm not sure how much he has left in the tank at this point. Uh, in addition to that, Andrew uh, McKeerhan is out for the year, and it looks like he's going to have to undergo Tommy John surgery for the second time in his career. Obviously, that's never a good thing to hear. The first one's bad enough, but a second one is substantially harder to come back from. Uh, McKeerhan is an interesting arm, at least for me, because at points last year I, I thought he maybe had some stuff and could be an effective guy, whether that was strictly against lefties or as, as kind of a an, an either-way type reliever. Um, but at least for now, we're not going to see any McKeerhan. Guys, is there anything big with these two departures? Uh, did you think McKeerhan was going to be able to make the bullpen at all coming out of spring training, Brad? I doubt it. I mean, he was one of those guys that was sort of on the periphery. Um, most of the projections, I know anything that we've done, I was not necessarily planning on him being in the bullpen opening day, but that's a guy who pitched in the bigs last year at one point, so it wouldn't have been too much of a shock if he made it, considering that he's left-handed. Um, but, you know, not not a big shock. It's definitely brutal for him, though, to be uh, having a second surgery, as you mentioned, because that's, that's never a good sign. Uh, one, is, one is kind of not that big of a deal, uh, and the Braves have sort of made a living now targeting guys who've already had TJ. Um, but the second one is not great for your career. So we wish him the best, obviously, but he'll be, uh, he's gone for this year and David Carpenter thing, same sort of thing. I mean, he was another guy who's on the periphery and, uh, it seems like the the consensus is that the Braves kind of let him go early so he could try to find another team. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a guy with, as you mentioned, who, uh, has a good history with the club and uh, everybody seems to like, so they let him out. They let him out early Gave him some time to try to latch on somewhere else, but he prob- that was a pretty good sign that he was never really in consideration to make the roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 
turning towards some players who, who are going to have a future with this team. Um, Ozzie Albies has been a popular name amongst the Braves coaching staff this past week. Uh, Freddy Gonzalez said he's the talk of the coaching staff. Every night after we come back in, guys talk about him, the maturity, the talent, the ability. He's pretty good. He doesn't come across as a green. Uh, his baseball IQ is pretty good. Uh, Scott, have you been able to see anything of Albies so far, whether that's uh, actually watching games or just seeing the results and, and hearing what we've what he's been doing thus far? What do you think of Ozzy Albies at this point after after one week? You know, he's certainly a young guy, but as you mentioned, as Freddie mentioned, he certainly brings excitement to the team. Um, as far as middle infielders go, he certainly kind of fits the mold of a Rafael for call, who of course moved through the system really quick. Um, it'll be interesting to see just how long the Braves keep him up with the big league club. Mm -hmm. Of course, he, I know Bowman mentioned he had a, a slight chance at maybe being a September call-up at the end of the year with a potential look to 2017. Uh, but he certainly has a long ways to go. Uh, but, you know, as long as he keeps providing a spark and, and is proving that he can at least belong with some of the big leaguers, um, why not? You know, let the kid let the kid face some of the tougher starters and as they start going deeper into innings. Uh, or into games, uh, why not let the kid go? It's it's certainly, um, with the lack of, I guess, big league talent, I, in my opinion, I think they should just kind of let the, the young guys go as far as they can before shipping them down to get ready for, for the minor league season. Yeah, and Obvious is a really interesting guy for me because since he's kind of jumped on to the uh, the prospect list and everyone's kind of bought into the Albies hype, I've I've kind of been a little skeptical just because of how young he is and, and how he just, I think he just finished a low A ball. That's the highest he's played for a full season at this point. Um, and I've always kind of just like maybe, maybe stomped on the brakes a little bit. But when I heard John Coppolella last year, I believe it was, say that he wouldn't be surprised if Albies got to the majors as soon as 2016, I was kind of a little shocked, and I, I figured that was that was maybe just him pumping up his own player. But then we hear the talk of just the maturity that he's shown in spring training, and it kind of makes me second guess uh, how quickly he's going to come up to the big leagues. Brad, do you would you be surprised if Ozzy was even here uh, in 2017? Because I think even that would be earlier than the normal track record you see from these guys. Uh, I would have been surprised about 2017 if you asked me a couple weeks ago, but all this stuff is coming out of camp. I mean, they're they can't stop talking about this guy. You you read that Freddie quote, but they're they just I mean the entire team is raving about him, and obviously that comes with at least a little bit with the fact that he's six of ten in his first five games. Um, small sample size alert is what I would say about that. Um, and Spring training, small sample size. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and he's only 19. He just turned 19. So it's kind of a preposterously young guy uh, when you're talking about the majors. But at this point, you know, with as weak as the, uh, the major league team is looking to be, um, if they want to bring him up at the end of 2016, it wouldn't shock me. Um, the, you know, the big question, obviously, long term is where he ends up playing because uh, you have Swanson um, and who you think is probably the better fit at shortstop long term. But yeah, Albies has been uh, everything that anyone could ask of him so far, and it, uh, you know the the rave reviews are not uh, something that's bad. I mean, we probably are going to poke fun at it uh, <laughs> to a certain degree, but it's always good for a guy to come in and sort of play over his head early, uh, get build some hype. Um, but you know, we're here to temper expectations, I guess, a little bit, considering he's 19 and probably won't be up till at least next year. I can't imagine him being up before September. I mean, if they want to bring him up when the uh, rosters expand, then. Mm -hmm. Sure, uh, if they're focused on 2017 and possibly you know starting him at second base or even short next year, um, it kind of again kind of depends on Swanson. But yeah. 
get the uh, hype train moving, I guess it's uh, and we'll we'll try to be as nice as possible about not, <laughs> about not slowing it down, I guess. Yeah, no, we're all for Albies uh, having success, but uh, I think it's I think it's reasonable to be to be a little skeptical of this. Uh, I know there's a there's a note from someone last week how uh, they were talking about playing Jace Peterson at third, maybe more than he did last season. Do you guys think that's um, maybe in results of Albie's success, or do you think that's just kind of like making the third base job a little more interesting, and maybe they're not convinced any of the guys who we assumed would be a third baseman with uh, Adonis Garcia, Kelly Johnson, and Gordon Beckham, do you maybe think that they're skeptical of those three, or do you think this is more because Albies has just been such a monster so early? Or is there any is there anything to Jace Peterson playing third? Scott, you want to go on? Yeah, I think as far as third base goes, it's counting on Adonis Garcia to really do much of anything. Certainly last year was fun, um, but you know, mo- hot month and a half when a team was 20 games out of first place. I, I really don't think the Braves are realistically betting on him for more than, you know, maybe 50 or 60 starts at third. So with Peterson, his coming up, everyone kind of saw him as a utility guy to begin with. Mm-hmm. Of course, he played second base last year because the Braves had literally no one else to do it. Uh, but yeah, you might as well try him at second base, put him at shortstop. So if Ibar goes down, um, or you know if it is Swanson next year and Swanson goes down, he has some experience in the big league level. Put him at third, um, even throw him in a you know left field should something come up, or you know you're in some wild 15 inning game and you need him. Um, it, it certainly makes sense to move him around. And again, with the team being at least projected to be as bad as they are, why not see you know see who can stick. Um, if he's a piece that could potentially be on the 2017 and team and beyond as a utility guy, let's do it. Um, if he butchers a couple innings of spring training or even in the regular season at third base, I don't, you know, I don't think anyone's going to lose too much sleep over it. Yeah, and I think Jace is a guy who actually played most of his innings at shortstop coming up through the minors. So mm-hmm. if the Braves are just looking to maybe get him a little more familiar at some of these positions and they intend for him to be that kind of super utility infielder guy and even left field, like you mentioned, uh, with some of the, the talents that they have coming up to play the infield. I mean, Jace Peterson, as a utility guy off the bench, it seems like that's probably his best role. I don't know if I don't know if he's got the ability to stick as a regular player on a team competing for the for a playoff spot and trying to make a run in the playoffs, I don't know if you want Jace Peterson going out there every day, but he's certainly proven himself to be to be to have valuable, I guess, valuable skills that that you could you could look for. Um, another of the another note from spring training is that Nick Markakis has homered. And that seems That's pretty right, incredible. <laughs> that, is actually, that, that is yeah, that is actually a note, which is the funniest thing about it. But yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> if you if you told us that maybe a couple of years ago, I think Markakis had like was it like four or five years in a row where he homered at least twenty times. Am I am I yeah. up there? Yeah, he he was a pretty consistent homer guy. And then after that neck that neck surgery, we saw his power. It was just sapped. Obviously, it was a, a pretty common joke throughout last season. But do you guys think that power is going to come back this season? I mean, he had a full off season to work out, do his normal normal off-season workout routine, which he didn't uh, the previous off-season. So should we expect some more power from Nick Markakis, or is this just another one of those spring training gaffes? I think we're, uh, I think we're tongue-in-cheek on the power stuff for a reason, uh, because he hit three homers last year <laughs> and almost 700 plate appearances. So that's uh, of the comical nature. Um, but in terms of him getting better in, in the power department, I think it's almost it almost has to. Um, a lot of the reports I heard, and Carlos might be able to speak to this a little bit more as a guy who was in the locker room last year, was that Marquez's body was just not ready 
um, physically from a power standpoint, like from being an in-shape standpoint. And that's not on him. When you, when you have neck surgery, you can't really work out. Uh, and during the course of the season, it's tough to add that mass back. Um, so at least part of it, I think, um, can be tied to uh, his lack of uh, physical ability last year in terms of where his normal baseline is. At the same time, uh, seeing him come back to the 20 home run guy would be far-fetched, uh, in my opinion. Um, I think you'd be lucky to uh, get him to crack double digits again in home runs. And for a guy that, you know, if he gets on base at the same clip as he did last year, I think he had a 370 on base last year, you'll take 8 to 10 home runs from that guy, and that guy's a productive player. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily expect 370, because um, that was, the, I think, like a five-year high for him. But if he's getting on base like a 350 clip with something in the neighborhood of 10 home runs, that's a win. I mean, he's not a, he's not a good defender. We've kind of made fun of that uh, <laughs> recently, too, um, in that he was uh, a gold-glove guy, so to speak, when he arrived in the, Jason, in the Jason Hayward comparisons defensively. But if he's just league average defensively, gets on base at a good clip and hits for a little bit of power, you know, you're talking about an average outfielder, and that's kind of all you need him to be. Um, so I, I think hopefully the power comes back, but I, I don't expect 15 to 20 home runs anymore. Yeah, Brad, I think me and you in particular have maybe hounded Marquegas more than maybe at this point, I feel like more than he deserves because, and I guess the big difference is people's expectations of Marquegas and the player that he actually is. Uh, when he came over here, it seems like there was a lot of people that were, that was just really excited for him talking about like comparing him to Jason Hayward as if he was a better player because he had a better batting average or something that was just outlandish, but there's nothing wrong with an average player uh, like Marquez certainly has a potential to be, and certainly was last season. Um, there's a difference, obviously, in a superstar outfielder, Nick Marquez, but a guy like Nick Marquez with some pop coming back to his bat and the uh, on-base percentage skills that he has—that's a valuable player to any team now. Yeah, with Marquez too. I mean, last year he hit 296. Uh, with a 370 OBP and a 376 slugging. Um, and as Brad kind of mentioned, if you go an entire offseason without really being able to touch a weight, you, naturally your power is going to get zapped. It doesn't matter if you're a guy who's routinely hit you know, 15 to 20 or if um, you know, you're a slugger who hits 30 or 35. I think really if, if he can just add a little bit of power, um, while you know, he's always been a high average guy, 291 career hitter, if he can just add a little more pop, um, and another thing too, just the defense – uh, if he can just kind of maintain and not be a huge liability in right field, I think the Braves would absolutely take um, kind of what he did last year again this season. It would also keep his value high enough that they could probably ship him off in the offseason um, if they want to do that. Um, but, yeah, you know, we, we, we kind of rag on Marquecas for not being Jason Hayward. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the national media kind of ripped the Braves for the signing. But, you know, he's getting paid about $11 million a year. He was worth uh, a win and a half last year. Uh, really, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's anything really wrong with Marquez. He is who he is, um, and he is a valuable guy in a lineup that doesn't have a lot of players that get on base at a at a super high rate. Yeah, yeah. Carlos. No, sorry, Carlos. Uh, Carlos mentioned earlier, like the thing about the contract, and I, I'll I'll cop to killing the contract at the time. <laughs> I did not like it, but the the big asterisk there is that. I hated it for the length. Yep. Yeah. It was it was the four years. You're, talk, you're talking about you're talking about a guy who's already you know he's crossed the thirty year old mark uh, and was already you know visibly declining in his numbers. And you gave the guy four years. He's you know he'll be thirty two this entire season in year two. Um, I, I don't expect him to be as good as he was last year in year four of this contract. 
Um, yeah. So that was really the problem with me. It was never, I was never worried about years one and two, at least until we heard about the next surgery, uh, which came after the contract, <laughs> which was the craziest part about it. But um, before that, I, you know, year one and two at $11 million is not bad. Uh, and, that's, and this is year two. I expect him to probably earn that money. Um, it's just you're worried about down the line, and Scott mentioned possibly trading him. I would be all on board with that. If you can get anything of value from a guy knowing that the decline is probably coming, um, if, he's, if he's having a good year, uh, even in July, if, you, if he's having a good year for the first half, you get a good offer of, from a contender that needs an outfielder, go ahead and move on from Arcacus now. Spare yourself those last two years of probable decline and uh, get some value. And, and that way you've extracted two good years out of the guy or at least a year and a half out of the guy. And um, that way the contract becomes a win versus what it looks like to me that in year four it's probably going to be a loss. I mean that's that's an assumption on my part. I should say like if he – for some reason, is able to keep that 370 OBP. Uh, he almost can't fail at that number. Yeah. I mean, he have to be an, he have to be a ghastly defensive liability to fail at 370 OBP, which, you know, he's not quite that defensively. I think he's below average now, mm-hmm. which seems to be controversial for some people. But his well, range, those gold gloves, you know, those, yeah. Those <laughs> <laughs> his ra- his range is just so bad that like. He'll catch the ball if you hit it to him. He's gonna <laughs> catch it. Like he's not. He doesn't make errors. That was the famous part about his. He had, he had the errorless streak or whatever. It's because he has no range. Which, you know, if you look back, you know, twenty years on defensive metrics, you would probably think he was awesome, and that's how he ends up winning Gold Gloves because he, does, he yep. doesn't make any errors. But the range is going to get worse. Is my fear. So again, I mean, if they can get some value, move on from him, like Scott said, that would be uh, the best case scenario, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's funny because I know last summer um, me and Mark would be watching just foul balls be hit over to right field where Mark Akos would run over there and it seems like it was in slow motion and he wouldn't even get close to the ball. And uh, we were just like, man, Jason Hayward would have been camping under that. That would have been an out. So yeah, It doesn't is. help when you're replacing a guy like Hayward exactly. too. Exactly. But yeah. anyone out there, and they, they would look like chump change compared, <laughs> compared to Jason. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely a good point. Um, but moving on to some of the younger pitchers who we've been able to see this week. Not, not the best week for some of the prospects who are supposedly the best pitching prospects in all of baseball. Um, Sean Newcomb, Aaron Blair, and Lucas Sims all had pretty significant struggles in their uh, first starts during the spring. Is there anything that we should take into this, guys, or should we chalk it up to uh, the first start in spring training, kind of getting their getting their feet wet a little bit? Well, with Newcomb especially, he was probably the worst of the bunch. Um, just nowhere close. I think he issued, uh, I think, four or five straight hitters got to him. But at the same time, um, he has seven starts above high A ball. He's certainly a guy who is nowhere close to the big leagues. He's probably, or I shouldn't say nowhere close, but at least for 2016, I don't think he gets any taste of Atlanta. He's probably a 2017, mid mid 2017 guy, especially with his uh, control issues. Uh, but as you said, you know, it's an inning, it's two innings. These guys are probably making their first ever kind of appearances against big league hitters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think to to get worried or. Uh, to be down on a prospect because of an inning or you know a bad inning or two on March third <laughs> is certainly not a uh, a good way to evaluate a prospect. Yeah, you want to piggyback off that, Brad? Anything to add? Yeah, I mean we're really only bringing it up to say relax. Yeah, uh, I think I think uh, either Blair or Sims had the best had the best ERA of of the bunch in the first weekend. I think it was eighteen. <laughs> uh, so. 
if you if if the casual fan looks at the box score, they're not going to be super impressed by any of these guys so far. But as Scott said, I think only only uh, only Blair was seen as like a legitimate possible 2016 option of this bunch, and you know this does not dissuade me from thinking that's possible later in the year. Uh, I've sort of been anti having him start the season in the rotation. So as a guy who didn't want that in the first place, it's almost good that he struggled because uh, Freddie can't fall in love with him and decide to, to roll with him uh, in the opening day rotation. But in the grand scheme, yeah, I mean, you could I, spin that as a positive for the people who are worried. In that case, with that line of thought, I like it. Yeah, I mean, I, I was. Uh, it's not that I actually. I'm a big fan of Aaron Blair. I just don't think he should open the season. But with Freddie, you can kind of not peg it, peg down what he's going to be uh, willing to do. Um, so with him struggling, that kind of damp- that kind of dampens any thought of that, which I like. Um, but in the grand scheme, you know, as Scott said, it's it's one inning, uh, maybe two innings of these guys so far, and it's March and. You know, you can't take too much away. Newcomb's control, though, is it was bad. Uh, so that's that's a guy that's um, he has the highest ceiling of all these guys by far, um, and that's why you traded Andrew and Simmons for him. Um, but at the same time, he's also not particularly close. And people that were thinking he would be, uh, this probably can uh, slow that down a little bit. Yeah, uh, same as as you guys. For me, I kind of just looked down and saw the lines, um, and I kind of just shook my head a little bit and moved on with my day. Not not anything to worry about for me. Yeah, um, I think one thing that um, just came up was the whole roster selection from Freddie, and I'd really be interested to see uh, how much rain Freddie gets over who he uh, begins the season with, and how involved Capalella is with that. Um, you know, if Capalella wants, you know, obviously he's kind of thinking more long term, whereas Freddie's probably a little more day to day. I'd be interested to see just how much influence Capalella is going to have on Freddie. If he's going to say, hey, no, let's let's keep him down for a couple months, even if, uh, say, a Malik Smith or uh, an Aaron Blair has a great rest of their spring. Um, if Capalella says, yeah, sure, whatever, let's see what they can do. Or um, if he kind of says, well, let's let's wait a couple months, see how they're doing in double or triple A and then bring him up. Um, it'll certainly be interesting, and at the same time, of course, the Braves also have to sell tickets somehow um, that they can probably sell an Aaron Blair or a Malik Smith a little bit better than a, a Kyle Kendrick uh, or a Michael Bourne. Uh, so there's there's certainly pros and cons that come with with letting the young kids begin the year in Atlanta or spending some time down in the minors to get a little more seasoned. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting point as well. I know on the the ask copy Twitter thing the Braves did last week. Someone asked a, asked a question about uh, who decides for the 25th man on the roster, whether that's a, a GM's decision or a manager's decision or kind of just a conversation about it. And I think Cobby's answer probably won't, won't excite people who are skeptical of Freddie because he basically said that uh, someone at some point along the line told him that it was never a good idea to argue with your manager about the 25th player on a roster. So mm-hmm. I feel like, like, I feel like Freddie will have some some leeway with who he wants on the team, especially if it is that 25th spot, a guy who maybe isn't going to be going out there every day. But honestly, for this team, I don't really think that matters too much. We don't have high expectations for them in this space. I don't think many other people do either. Uh, So I wouldn't freak out too much about that. But if we want to move into the mailbag, we do have a question that deals with Freddie's line of thinking. Uh, And this this first one comes from... Freddie's Hot Hand, which is a, a beautiful username. Shout out to Freddie's Hot Hand. Um, and he says, lineup construction. How long can my namesake continue to hit a guy who doesn't get on base second in the lineup and a guy with no power fourth? Anyone want to tackle that? 
Yeah, this is going to be a point of uh, contention all year long. I can already feel it. Um, right now, just for reference, uh, he's going with Eric Ibar uh, second, we think, and uh, Nick Markakis in the cleanup spot. Um, both of those are bad decisions. Uh, <laughs> Ibar uh, kind of goes with the uh, the old school mentality of uh, play your you know spunky middle infielder hitting second. Um, which we all know now is not a good idea. Um, every study really says that your best hitter should hit second. Um, and that's, of course, Freddie Freeman. Uh, no one expects Freddie, to act- Freddie Gonzalez to actually hit Freeman second because that's just never going to happen. Freeman's going to hit third until he retires probably. <laughs> um, but even if, even if we just accept that, you know, Ibar doesn't bring a lot to the table uh, as far as getting on base. Um, so that's... That's a guy who probably should not be hitting second. And really, um, we bring up Markakis, who's hitting fourth. That's a guy who does profile as someone who should hit at the top of the lineup. Yeah, um, He doesn't have uh, any power, as we've already discussed on this podcast. But he's a, he's a guy who's going to get on base. So hitting Markakis fourth in a power spot um, is not a good idea either. So simple thing would be to stick Markakis in the two-hole. Um, he's not your best hitter, but he's one of your better hitters. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, and maybe burying Ibar lower in the lineup would be a good idea, but I have a feeling Freddie Gonzalez is not going to listen to what we have to say about this. Hmm. Probably not. Scott, do you have any different opinions on lineup construction or want to comment on anything? To me, really the Braves' offensive success is going to come down to Freddie Freeman, and if Freddie is healthy, you certainly want as many guys on base as possible in front of him. Um, it sounds like Enciarte, with decent reason, sh- will lead off. I'm not really sure who else does. Um, and why not put Marqueca second, as, as Brad said. Uh, guy got on base uh, 37% of the time last year, um, 370 OBP. Get him in the second hole, and then Freeman third, and just try and figure it out four through eight. Uh, of course, you got some right-handed pop, or hopefully some right-handed pop out of Hector Oliveira in there somewhere. Maybe he becomes the fourth hitter, mm-hmm. um, or if Freddie really wants to get his spunky middle infielder in Ibar, maybe Ibar hits ninth, um, kind of serve as a dual leadoff guy, even though he has no business being a leadoff guy. <laughs> um, maybe hit you know pitcher eighth, Ibar ninth, and then hopefully get Ibar and and NCR Town base four. Marcakis and, and Freeman in this in the two three holes. Yeah, I wouldn't let's make any weird. bets on on adding, on having Freddie bet his pitcher eight. But. Oh, let's get let's just get weird. This is going to be a weird season. <laughs> Come on, Freddie. Also, start doing crazy stuff. If 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 we think that the ideal lineup is Inciarte, Marcakis, Freeman, I just want to like crush y'all's hopes and say that he's never going to bat three yeah. lefties back to back to back, regardless of of who's starting that day. Well, we talked um, about this, Carlos. I mean. Against a against a lefty, I would never hit Enciarte leadoff. Yeah, I, I hope that doesn't happen. Like, I hope we don't have to have a few months of him struggling against lefties for Freddie to figure that out. Like, I, I mean, honestly, Marquez should lead off if we're being if we're being serious. And again, Freddie's never going to do this, but Marquez should lead off. I mean, he's the best OBP guy on the team. Speed is overrated in the leadoff spot. Enciarte, I guess you can make the argument against righties. Yeah. Um, just because of, because he has that speed and he's a good hitter against righties, whereas he's kind of been awful against lefties in his career. We've covered that on, in this space before, but Marquez would be a good leadoff guy. I mean, I just don't think Freddie's going to do it because that's not his mo. He's gonna he's gonna hit the middle infielder or the fast outfielder uh, leadoff, and that's fine. But 
NCR to Ibar is not going to go well. Uh, and I, I agree with you, though, Carlos. I can't see Freddie going lefty, lefty, lefty at the top. It's just not something he's going to do. Yeah, you know what I would love to see? I would love to see a lineup that is uh, Nick Marcakis leading off, Freddie Freeman batting second, and then Hector Oliveira batting third. And then after that, just I don't even care. But I, I bet we never see that. I mean, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that that's never going to happen as long as Freddie's calling the shots. But I Oliver, think that would be hilarious to watch. I could see Oliver getting some time batting second if he's hitting well. Uh, guy who doesn't strike out a whole lot, or at least in the limited time we've seen of him um, between the Cuban scouting reports and, and then his brief stint last year. Um, he might see some time in the two to get a little pop-up at the top. Um, maybe against lefties you go Marcakis one, Olivera two, Freeman third, um, just to get Enciarte's bat against lefties, which is just incredibly bad um out of that top of the order maybe he bats eighth um but there's certainly as we've said there's certainly some flexibility here and i can't imagine there is any kind of semblance of a go-to lineup um, i'm guessing we see a different kind of lineup just about every day of the week yeah i would lo- i would love to see Oliver it's like if he's hitting because you want your you know you want your best hitters to hit and uh, if all goes according to plan, your three best hitters are going to be Marquez, Oliveira, and Freeman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's you know having them having those guys one, two, three in some order would not be the worst thing in the world. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Jack Gray sixty four gives us our next question. Jack says, "Are we as a fan base resigned to the fact that the third base job belongs to Adonis Garcia, or should we expect an open competition from Gordon Beckham, Kelly Johnson, etc.?" It seems as if this topic really hasn't been touched upon thus far. Um, I think Garcia is obviously the favorite for the job, and I don't think that's much much news to anyone. I mean, he's shown that pop, and I think offensively he might have – I mean, and he probably has the best potential of either of those other two guys at this point. Um, his glove is very scary. I don't think Adonis Garcia is an everyday third baseman on, a, on an average team. Um, but for the Braves, I mean, you really don't have a guy there unless, uh, Brad, I know you're probably going to talk about playing Oliveira at third base. Um, I don't think that would be a terrible decision either. But, I mean, I like Kelly Johnson. He showed that he, he can uh, still swing it a little bit last season. I, I don't know what we can expect from really any of these guys defensively at third base. Uh, but but what do you think? Is is it for sure uh, Adonis Garcia's spot at third, Scott, or are one of these other guys going to come in and surprise us? I think He'll, he'll be given at least the opportunity, you know, a month or so uh, to open the season as the starting third baseman. Um, last year, his numbers were really good, um, especially in the lineup. He didn't get on base a whole bunch, but he almost put up a, a 500 slugging percentage over about 200 bats. So uh, I, I don't see a reason. Again, it's one of those situations where you don't really have a good option. So why not see if someone can figure it out? Um, my guess is Garcia probably sees about half the starts at third base over the season and then some combination of Kelly Johnson, Gordon Beckham, Emilio Bonifacio, uh, maybe if Daniel Castro gets a little bit of time, they might slot him in there for a couple days, which I don't think anyone really wants to see. Um, you know, it's it's one of those beggars can't be choosers things. Let, let's see if Garcia can handle it. Maybe he pops 15 homers or something like that um, while playing hopefully passable defense. But again, um, I, third base is probably the weakest overall position, um, at least in terms of guys ready to contribute within the next year or two, uh, maybe catcher as well. So why not let Garcia do it? And if for some reason the ball's going between his legs every every two games, then then try another option out there. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say I agree. I mean, 
I've kind of given up on the Hector Oliveira third base thing, uh, sadly. Oh, that sigh, that sigh was just so sad right there. Yeah, <laughs> R.I.P. I just don't think they're going to do it, and I think that kills his value. We've talked about this uh, a lot, so I won't go over it again. But with that, with that as the backdrop, uh, yeah, I think Garcia is going to get the going to get the job out of spring, um, unless he's just a disaster in the next few weeks, which he might be. Frankly, uh, we don't know. Um, but in the end, I think it's probably going to settle into some some sort of rotation, maybe maybe even even a platoon, uh, depending on the day. Um, and even Jace Peterson, we mentioned him earlier. If we if there's another second base option, which there really kind of isn't, um, I'd like to see Jace play some third base. Uh, that super utility thing would be pretty pretty ideal for him long term. But again, he's he's your best second baseman on the roster. Um, and if Freddie's uh, resigned to playing the same guy there every day, he's the best option in my opinion. So. Uh, if we assume he's there at second, uh, a lot of Garcia and Kelly Johnson, which is fine. I mean, that it's not fine. <laughs> in the great scheme, it's fine for this season. Yeah, it's fine. It's what it is. I mean, I, I, I like the Kelly Johnson pickup again. I think he's a useful player. Um, he could play a number of different spots. He can play outfield if you need him to. He can play second base, third base, first base he's played. Um, that's a guy who you like having on the roster. Uh, you mentioned Bonifacio. You know, for me, that's a guy you wouldn't even have on the roster uh, if, if it was up to me. Um, but they probably love his uh, utility uh, aspect as well. Even though he's a bad outfielder, um, he's fast. Uh, Vroom would be what I would say hmm. about uh, Bonifacio. Um, but yeah, it's going to be Garcia to start with, and uh, we'll see what happens from there. But I think it definitely devolves into some sort of rotation by May or June. Yeah, what'll be hilarious to me is when um, we get a platoon with Garcia hitting against uh, lefties and Kelly Johnson hitting against righties, even though Kelly Johnson has a reverse career split. Yeah, the an- the anti platoon that would yeah. be such a Freddie Gonzalez move. Honestly, I think it would be it would be nice to to see if you did play Adonis against righties and Kelly against lefties. That's never going to happen, but I think you should probably give more of the playing time to Adonis at least at the beginning of the season. To see what happens, and then obviously we've talked about how Kelly is better against lefties. Um, but the one thing that Adonis does give us is the chance to see some insane bat flips after home runs. I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not sure if the Atlanta Braves will maybe endorse that strategy, but I would love to see him pull out a few of those. And if maybe Hector Oliveira and him could go back to back in the lineup at some point with some some intense bat flips to just celebrate it, that would be awesome. <laughs> you mentioned Garcia. I mean, r- r- real quick, I think the thing about him. Is that we don't know he's bad. <laughs> uh, we we kind of we kind of said that about a lot of things in the last couple of weeks. But Garcia is a guy who I think probably is not a major league starting third baseman. Um, I'm pretty confident in that. But at the same time, you've never seen him fail. Um, whereas you know Gordon Beckham's not a starting third baseman. You know Kelly's probably not a starting third baseman. And if he is, he's a below average one. So at least give Garcia the opportunity. He's he's got some raw talent. We saw that last year. He had a really good uh, you know half season or so. Um, so you know let him try it. And if he if he can't do it, then at least you've seen him fail versus the other guys who you know have a really defined ceiling. Yeah. All right. Our next question comes from Full Time Savage. Interesting. Who asks? Uh, the Braves have cleared a ton of payroll space and have indicated that they're willing to increase the payroll when they move into the new ballpark. The question is, how do they spend that money? Scott, do you have any initial uh, thoughts about how the Braves should go about spending this this imaginary money that the Braves are going to come into next year? <laughs> um, a couple things. One would, the one that I think would make some sense, and of course, was 
so highly publicized about eight months ago was uh, trading for a veteran player with a bad contract like Bronson Arroyo to get a potential top prospect like they did with Toussaint. Um, I don't know who's out there, and I don't know what teams would be willing to pull a diamond back and give their best prospect to <laughs> unload $9 million. Um, but I think that's certainly an option. Everyone knows the Braves are going to go heavy with international spending this summer. I don't know exactly how they move their finances around. Some of that money might be used to sign some young kids to hopefully turn around and, and you know, four or five years um, be, be stars. Um, looking at next year's free agent class, it's terrible. It might be, honestly, it might be the worst ever. Um, but the one after that, of course, is the insane one. Bryce Harper is going to hit. I think McCutcheon is going to hit. Uh, I mean, everyone. Strasburg hits that year too, doesn't he? Uh, Strasburg is next year. He's like the only decent option, I believe. Um, he's like the only decent starting pitcher who's hitting. Uh, there's a couple of bats that aren't anything more than slightly above replacement level. Um, but of course the year after, not that the Braves are going to go out and pay Bryce Harper $400 million. Um, but I, I think they, they'll probably be savvy and try not to, um, load themselves with big contracts next winter when they know that there's going to be an insane amount of talent up for grabs, uh, the winter after that, which is probably more than likely with 2018 being the year, um, you know, when you would want to try to really start being competitive. Cause I think there's still a few too many holes on this roster now to, to truly be competitive by 2017. Yeah, I think that was perfectly said, Scott. I agree with basically all of that. I think most of the money that you're going to see the Braves spend before then is probably going to be in the international free agent market. Um, just places where people, uh, I guess it's not as sexy as a free agent, a big free, free agent signing. Um, a lot of the casual fans maybe not, maybe won't think that that, that kind of stuff is as important or as uh, – as crucial to the team, but yeah, I'd like to see them save for that free agent class as well because, I mean, I haven't looked too much into detail about next year's free agent class, but I've heard what all the national baseball writers are saying about it already, so I guess they can hold off. Brad, any thoughts? Yeah, I was going to say, this is just the, uh, this question kind of hits on the centerpiece of the whole 2017 uh, is the year to compete thing. It's pretty far-fetched um, to think the Braves are going to be a World Series contender in 2017. Um, just because, um, unless something drastic changes with the payroll, which this uh, this ownership group has not shown uh, the willingness to do. Um, and again, Scott mentioned that the free agent class is not great. So if you combine the amount of holes with, with the uh, sort of capped payroll, um, even if they go out and get a, a guy or two in free agency, they're not going to be the elite free agents. And for this team, to, for this team as constructed, to turn it around in a year and suddenly be, you know, a ninety-win team without a serious overhaul is something that I don't really see happening. Um, I think it's more uh, for the, those of us that are looking at it closely. I think it's more suited to like let's try to go uh, five hundred and be a competitive team in twenty seventeen. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's a much more realistic goal, um, especially going into this year, kind of knowing you're going to lose ninety plus games. Um, in, in all likelihood. So if you can make a nice jump um, and sort of do uh, the uh, more, you know, it's more reasonable long-term to not go out and spend a bunch of money on overpriced uh, veterans next year. Uh, you mentioned Strasburg is the only guy who's kind of that, you know, prime guy. And, you know, knowing that, he's probably going to get a lot of money. Yeah, and I and, wouldn't even want to be giving money to Strasburg, to be honest. Well, that's no. the thing. He's, he's a pitcher also, which is what, you know, this entire rebuilding project has been to go – 
get young uh, price-controlled arms, the last thing they're going to want to do is go out and spend their one major free agent deal on an arm. Who's probably yeah. overvalued. Yeah, I just can't see that, that happening. Um, if, it was, if it was a bat, you know, Harper is a pipe dream for anybody except for maybe the Yankees and the Dodgers because he's going to get, as Scott mentioned, $400 million or so. But even the, even, the, even the guys that are a tier or two down from that, you're more likely, at least in my opinion, to spend big money on a bat than you are um, with this huge stream of young arms coming through. It would be kind of uh, off, the, off the wagon, so to speak, to go out and spend a bunch of money on, on a pitcher uh, in this landscape. So yeah, 2017, uh, let's try to compete rather than uh, you know, trumpeting the fact that they're going to make a World Series run in year one of the new ballpark because it, it, uh, it, it, be, uh, it would be a huge leap from this year to next year, and I just don't see the path to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the best case scenario is probably to be respectable by 2017. That's the year where you kind of get out of losing all the time and maybe, like you said, become a 500 team. Scott, were you going to add anything? Yeah, just with the 2017 thing, I didn't want it to sound like there's no way. You know, if the Braves can push 500 with a lot of their young guys available in 2017, you know, Swanson, Blair, if Newcomb and Sims and those young guys can can start to make some um, an impact at the big league level, 500 ball would be a lot of fun with that team. Yeah. You know, it's it's not a 500 team with some expiring contracts and and some veterans who aren't going to get any better. Um, I think we would have a ton of fun watching a bunch of young Braves in in Cobb County 2017. And then just to add on the 2018 free agency list, so these are the guys who could become free agents, assuming they don't sign deals. Um, before then. So you have Manny Machado, you have MVP Josh Donaldson, you have um, Jason Hayward if he opts out of his deal after two years, we have Harper, we have McCutcheon, you have AJ Pollock, you have Adam Jones, you have Michael Brantley, um, David Price and Clayton Kershaw both have opt-outs after 2018, Jose Fernandez, Matt Harvey, uh, Shelby Miller, Jose Quintana, um, relievers, Craig Kimbrell, Trevor Rosenthal, Andrew Miller. I mean, those are just like the top tier guys. And uh, I mean, those guys alone are going to get, I don't know, $2 billion, $3 billion. So yeah, I'm going to go uh, out on a limb and say that some records and free agent spending are going to be broken that year. Yeah, it'll be, I mean, it'll be literally the biggest free agent spending in the history of sports as we know it. It'll probably change baseball forever, honestly. Um, so yeah, so just to kind of hit on the point that all of us have made, uh, I don't really think the Braves are going to do anything too crazy here in the next 18 months, especially when you have potentially 10 or 12 legitimate all-star caliber players about to become free agents, um, you know, two winters from now. I'll say this, if if they do make the big move, it's going to be a trade. It's not going to be a free agent signing. I think it's going to be somebody, you know, somebody on that list, um, and, that uh, basically the team's going to have to decide that we're not going to pay Andrew McCutcheon for the instance. The Pirates look at their books and say, we, we're not, we're not going to be able to afford McCutcheon. Let's trade him before he becomes a free agent. That's the type of guy the Braves are going to be able to get in on mm-hmm. uh, and make. And I, obviously I pulled that name out of thin air, but you know what I mean? It's, it's basically just the, the archetype of the guy who's going to hit free agency in a couple of years that the team is worried about having to pay. Let's sell them. Let's get it. Let's get a bunch of prospects, which, Oh, the Braves happen to have a ton of prospects all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. That's that's another reason why you build the farm system so that when those deals become available, you can make them. Recently, I mean, the Braves haven't had the guys to go get a, a big time free a big time guy who's on the trade market because they don't have uh, you know assets to trade. Yep. So it's not just about these guys panning out long term. That would be great if all the pitchers panned out, but especially given the volatility of arms, you can turn around and flip a couple of those guys into 
an upper tier bat, um, hopefully on the trade market. And that's, you know, that falls right in line with the archetype of what copy has been trying to build here. Yep, definitely. And let's see, the last question we have is from Freakademic who says Malik Smith, obviously he won't be putting up four extra base hits per game, but as far as offensive tools, to what extent is this in line with what he's done in the minors? Is this a guy who can handle who can handle, who can hit into the gaps and run like hell. Um, yeah, I think that last description is more like what you should expect of Malik's than the homers um, and the triples. Uh, obviously the triples with him running, but I don't think he's going to be a home run type hitter. I don't think anyone assumes that, that that's the, the player that he is. I'm skeptical of his bat. Uh, I think if he's able to, to drive the ball into the gaps consistently as a major league hitter, that'll be beyond what I expect of him. Uh, I think his hit tool is probably gonna. It's gonna challenge him, to be honest, to to be that regular everyday player. But what do you guys think of Malik Smith? Obviously, he had a big start to spring training. But what are your expectations for him offensively? Scott, you can take this one if you want. Sure. I I worry he's never gonna hit for power. Um, but at the same time, I think that he has enough speed, and he has. He's always been able to get on the on base in the minor leagues. Um, I think. His career on base percentage in the minors is about 375, and that includes um, kind of his breakout year onto the prospect scene um, last year. Uh, so I, I think that maybe it's just me, but I feel like we, we sell Malik short a little bit. With that speed, all he has to do is get on base at just an average clip, and he could be a very valuable asset. Um, you know, is he ever going to be a star? Probably not. Um, I think his upside is probably that of like a Michael Bourne, uh, which would be great considering how good Bourne was for a couple years there. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if he's more of just like a Jared Dyson who gets on base occasionally and and just runs a ton and is a serviceable outfielder, um, you know, if if he's cheap, which he will be for the first three or four years of his deal, I think the Braves could absolutely find um, a role for him and and really. Um, use him and if you think about his speed which is a true 80 grade speed he can change a game really by just getting on first base whether it's a hit or as a pinch runner so um with Malik's it's important to temper expectations he's not gonna have um four extra base hits obviously um but he's he's really arguably the most exciting player um that's that's close to the big leagues out of the minor leaguers um and i don't think he'll break the season with atlanta um but by you know june or july he could certainly get a taste and it'll be fun to see him run because uh, he can really fly yeah, uh, real, just real quick, his career minor league slash is as a 295, 380, 387 hitter. So obviously you look at that on-base percentage, that's really the first thing that sticks out to me. Three, 380 on-base percentage is no joke. Uh, but the next thing you look at is 387 slugging. Uh, I don't I don't see power being a part of his game ever, uh, like you mentioned, Scott. Um, and then I did the math real quick, but I think he walked at uh, just over 10%. Uh, yeah. plate appearances and that's that's better than I thought to be honest that's respectable especially when you consider the speed that he has and if he's able to walk at that kind of a rate at the major league level um, I think he could be a, a decent or at least average major league hitter yeah if he'll he can, be a menace yeah if yeah. he can keep that up um, I'm a little skeptical that he that he will be able to keep that up because he doesn't have that power to fall back on and pitchers are probably going to be challenging him from day one so it'll be interesting to see uh, how well his plate discipline translates to the major league level and see how developed his hit tool actually is. 
Um, but I, I wouldn't expect the day that you saw at spring training the other day to be a regular thing going forward. As I'm sure you don't actually expect every day freakademic, but if you do think that that's his offensive potential, I would I would temper your expectations a little bit. Brad, do you want to add anything on that? Oh uh, no, you guys pretty much nailed it. I think Malik's is going to be uh, in the best case scenario. He'll be a you know a reasonably high OBP guy with no power and mm-hmm. ton of speed. And if you you know. There's an argument, honestly, that if you if if you played Oliver at third, which is what I'd like to do, that Malik's might be your best left fielder right now, um, only because you know what he's going to do defensively, and if he hits at all, um, none of the none of the left field options right now are even serviceable defensively, uh, unless you think Bourne is an option, and I don't think he is, um, yeah. only yeah. because they I can't imagine the Braves playing his current bat in left field. Um, there would just be no, there's no upside there at all. Um, the only reason why he's around is a the contract and b because he can play because he can play center. Um, if something happens to Enciarte, you can roll Bourne out there and he won't embarrass you defensively. Um, yeah, I think the Braves are really excited for Bourne just to kind of be a veteran guy to talk to Malik Smith. They they really respect what he brings to the table uh, as far as tangibles go. I mean, we can debate the merits of tan- intangibles. Excuse me. Um, but I know the Braves put their lockers right beside each other intentionally, so they definitely like uh, just Bourne's leadership, and, and maybe they're hoping that he can teach Malik a few things. Because the one question that I have with Bourne is that defense. Um, obviously, he's got the speed, but we heard, um, we've just heard about how he's just flying around in the outfield. I think he's always been able to just rely on that speed. I would like to see Malik uh, improve his route running in the outfield. Because I don't know that he's the best route runner as far as getting to balls as efficiently as he can, and I've also heard a few questions about his arm. Uh, I would like to see that that strength maybe improve a little bit. I, I, I haven't seen him throw too much, so I don't know about the accuracy. But I think Malik's—he clearly has the tools to be an elite outfielder, but he definitely is still raw in that regard. I think. Yeah, the thing about the thing about him with Bourne in, in the spring, I, you know, we we make fun of the uh, the veteran presence. Mm-hmm. "Quote unquote" a lot, but I do like that in the spring, especially um, having a guy like Bourne to sort of tutor him directly. Uh, and they've seen, as you mentioned, to, you know, kind of do that on purpose. Mm-hmm. And Malik's is a guy who shouldn't he shouldn't open the season in the outfield. He just shouldn't. I mean, even if you think he is as good as your other guys, that's because the other guys are bad. <laughs> um, at least in, outside of Inciarte and Marquecas, the rest of your outfield is pretty much a mess. Um, Oliveira might hit, and that might keep him um, above that the, of the, above the rest of those guys. But he's going to be bad defensively, no question about it, in left field in a position he's never played before. So you know, even if you thought Malix was as good as those guys, there's no reason to have him start the season in, in the majors unless you're going to start him, um, which I wouldn't do. Um, if they if they want to keep him up as a fourth outfitter, that's not a good idea because he's not playing. Um, so send him down to Gwinnett. Send him down to Double A and have him have him you know learn defense as you said, um, learn how to learn how to catch not not necessarily just catch the ball but it's all about routes and stuff that casual fans don't love. That's why people never appreciated Hayward is that Hayward is so good at routes and breaking on balls that he was just always camped under the ball and people will think oh anybody can catch the ball because they're standing there. <laughs> but it's all there. it's all about reaction off the bat and the route you take all that stuff and all, that's that stuff that Michael Bourne can teach. Michael Bourne was an awesome center fielder in his prime. Awesome. Yep. Defensively, I mean, he had a bad arm. I mean, he never had a good arm. But as far as routes and using using his speed to the maximum potential, that's something he did super well, and that's uh, something that he can hopefully rub off on Alex. Yep, agreed. 
those are all the questions we have today from the mailbag. So again, I appreciate all of you guys who are submitting questions and comments. Um, it's really fun for me to, to be able to do this and talk with you guys about, about what you readers are thinking. So thanks for that, and hopefully that'll keep up. Uh, before we keep end this, them coming. Yeah, before we end this podcast, though, uh, Scott, I just wanted to ask just briefly to try to see what uh, – just your history with Talking Chop, because as we talked about earlier, I think you're one of the most seasoned writers that we have on the site. I've known about you for long long before I was involved with the site, so it's very cool to be able to talk baseball with you now. But how did you get involved in writing about the Braves, and how did you get started with Talking Chop? If you want to just take us through your journey in the Braves blogosphere. Yeah, um, it's crazy. You know, we, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, and um, I think I've been on the site for like seven or eight years now, um, starting back with um, the Martin Gandy days and then um, through the various, you know, when they kind of merged with the Capitol Avenue guys and then, um, of course, our current great staff now. Um, I think I started back in 2010, which was my freshman year of college. Um, I started out as a business major and re- quickly realized I didn't want to do that. Um, so as I kind of found my way, I, I always enjoyed reading and um, writing and sports were just kind of a natural pathway for me. So um, just started contributing on the site when I could. Um, I think after a few months, reached out to Martin and he he gave me a, a role as a contributor and started doing the game recaps and the game threads. Um, really is Talking Chop and the whole SB Nation network of blogs were blowing up. Um, and then over the years, you know, from Talking Chop, did some stuff with SB Nation Atlanta, um, which of course was a pretty cool regional site that was around for a couple years. Um, did some stuff with with SB Nation on their news desk, which is kind of a list of contributors who um, write about all the different various topics and sports and your assigned articles. And um, it was really for me just a perfect way to practice outside of the classroom um, as I made my way through college. Uh, of course, finished up college uh, two years ago. Um, and, and just kind of stuck with it ever since. So, um, you know, not currently working in sports media, though I am working in the news. Um, but it, but it's really been great for me. I've loved it, um, getting a chance to express your thoughts, and then of course um, go back and forth, whether it be in in the comment section or on with readers on Twitter. Um, really, just a great experience for me to not only practice but get to meet some great people along the way. Um, it's really been really cool, and, and no regrets at all. Every um, I like to think that um, every every article I do is is worthy of being published on the site, especially with some great authors like we have. Um, and I and I hope to keep doing it for for a while because it's a lot of fun, to be honest. Yeah, is there a, a, a particular team, uh, Braves team, or a particular player that you've enjoyed writing about or covering the most since you've been doing this with Talking Chop? Probably Hayward. Um, I, I mean, it's no it's no secret that. Everyone, um, or at least most folks on the blog, adore Hayward. Um, he was uh, my favorite player, really, from day one. Um, just such a, a, a good player in all shapes and form. Um, and when you have kind of the, I guess, the national perception of him, of, of being kind of a bust or not being as good as he's supposed to be, even though he's a hell of a baseball player, um, Hayward's great. I, I'm actually going to see him out. Uh, on opening day in Anaheim, the Cubs are playing the Angels. I just happened to be the Cubs, so I'll get to see his debut with Chicago. Um, you know, every time Hayward comes up, whether he's in a Braves jersey, Cardinals jersey, as painful as it is, um, Cubs jersey, you know, I want him to be successful. Um, covering him was great. 
Um, of course, Tommy Hansen kind of had the same buzz, and it was really, um, really just a tragic way for him um, to have passed a few months back. Um, and of course, with Chipper Jones, um, he was, you know, anyone uh, who's followed the Braves for a while, he's probably their favorite player. Um, love Chipper, and it's great, I think, too, to see him back with the team in that, in that form um, as a special assistant. will probably be a hitting coach one day, um, and then it'll certainly be something fun to watch as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, really appreciate all the things you do on the site, Scott. I know it's been uh, it's been nice to interact with you on Twitter before, to talk to you now, and to read all the stuff that you post on the site still today. Uh, so we appreciate you coming on the podcast today. It's been fun. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's great. You guys have done a great job with the first four or five here, and um, hopefully people are tuning in and, and staying on because it's, it's certainly by far the best outlet to get your Braves news, and it's a great community. And, and uh, you know, if, like for me, for example, living out in Arizona, there are very few Braves fans out here. Um, so to, you know, be just a couple clicks away from literally thousands of readers um, is pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. So um, with that, I think we're going to wrap up this episode. Um, you can follow Scott on Twitter at ScottColeman55. Uh, you can follow Brad at BTRoland. You can follow myself at Carlos A. Colazzo. Also, if you don't already, follow the site at Talking Chop. And uh, be sure to stick around on the website. Keep jumping in on the comments section. And keep listening to the podcast. If you guys want to leave us a review on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful as we're just getting started. Um, but with that, uh, take care, guys. Until next time, have a good one. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.